book of Hebrews chapter number six, verses six and seven. If you found it, say praise the Lord. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. I want to preach for a while this morning on the subject, ark builders. Look at somebody, tell him he's going to preach about ark builders. Preach about ark builders. Amen. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for this great congregation of people. God, I pray for your anointing upon me to preach and anoint our ears to hear. Confirm your word with signs following. Have your way in this place, Lord Jesus, I pray, God. Do your work in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're being seated. Thank you, Sister Elizabeth and the music team. This morning, I have the challenge of preaching one of the most well-known stories of all of human history. Perhaps in your mind, when you heard the word Noah, you may have been tempted to think, I've heard this before. And indeed, you most likely have. A Google search, if you Google the words Noah's Ark, or I'm sorry, Noah Bible Story, you will get 25,200,000 results, 200,000, 25,200,000 results, and it took less than one second to find all those. That's, a, that's, that's fast, even for our slow internet. A search using the words Noah's Ark Kids Room Decor will yield... 6,390,000 results in about the same amount of time. The fact is that the story of Noah is well known in our culture. There are many enduring lessons that we learn from the story of Noah and his faithful building of the ark. One of the themes being that God rewards people who seek him. The Bible said he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God blesses people who pursue him. Amen. Noah was a man of great destiny. The Bible said that Noah was a righteous man and that used the term perfect in his generations. Noah lived uprightly in his time. That's what the Bible was saying, that Noah lived right during his generation. While Noah was upright, the Bible says that the generation of Noah 
was a wicked and evil generation. Genesis chapter number 6 and verse number 5 says that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. The wickedness of the men of Noah's generation. The Bible said it was great. It was a wicked day. Their minds, the thought of their heart was on evil continually. It seemed like that from the time they woke up until they went to bed at night, their mind was thinking about sin and wickedness and evil. It sounds a whole lot like the time we live in. Don't think for one moment that God does not see what's going on in the world. Don't think that God doesn't know what people are doing and even what people are thinking. Amen. God saw the wickedness. What they did was great. But also he saw every imagination and the thoughts of his heart. God does not only know what we do, but God knows what we're thinking. Amen. God sees the wickedness and knows the imaginations and the thought of the heart. Amen. I felt conviction come through this place right now. You were hoping God didn't know what you were thinking. If you're tempted to wonder, to wonder what God thinks when he sees wickedness and sin, you need only look at what the Bible tells us in the story of Noah. The thought of the, of the heart was wicked continually. And then the next verse, Genesis 6, 6, and then verse 7 says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. Man was so sinful that God repented that he made him. God felt sorry that he had even made man. It grieved him. The Bible said it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. The Bible said that God, that it grieved him at his heart. It grieved man. It grieved God how man was living, acting, and thinking. May I tell you today that God is not oblivious to what we do in our life. It grieves the heart of God when he sees people who are living in sin and thinking continually about wickedness. It makes the heart of God to hurt. The original Hebrew word for grieve here means to carve or to cut up, to cause pain. If you think about that phrase, to carve or to cut up, that when we sin, when we do things we should not do, our lives don't happen in a vacuum. Just because we think nobody sees it doesn't mean that nobody's hurt by it. Amen. It cuts up. It carves the heart of God when people sin. It causes him pain. God is wounded by the sinful, wicked life that people live. It causes God great pain when he sees people live in sin. Amen. I will tell you that it hurts the heart of God to see people when they begin to leave the Lord and to live in sin. It cuts his heart. It, it, it carves his heart up when people are so ready 
to sin and so slow to repent. It appears to me that God has a pain threshold. You know, we talk about people that uh, have a high pain tolerance. That there's certain people, there, there are certain people, man, they could, uh, they could be almost mortally wounded and they'll act like they're okay. And there's some people that they get the tiniest little injury and, uh, and they act like they're about to die. You ever known anybody like that? There's some people, there's some people they can take a whole lot and, not, and almost never show that they hurt. And there's some people that, that they hurt all the time. I had somebody that, and, and I'm not going to tell you who it is because they're related to me, but they, they, they told me one time, they said, I'm going to cry. I said, well, you cry all the time, so that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I'm talking about the pain threshold, that some people can take more pain than others, but everybody has a limit to how much pain they can take. And that appears to me that God has a pain threshold. That where he determines enough is enough. You ever know, you know, one of the most dangerous things, there's some people that, that uh, they, they, they start to hurt. Something begins to, to, uh, to, to hurt. And because they can take it, they don't ever go to the doctor. And they may go weeks and months. And then when they finally go to the doctor, they realize that they let it go too far. And had they gone to the doctor quickly, they could have had it taken care of easily. But because they had a high pain tolerance, they actually became more and more wounded. It appears, however, that God has a pain threshold where he determines that enough is enough. It cuts the heart of God when man sins. And God is patient and God is kind and God is long-suffering. But there does come a point where God says enough is enough. If you look at the prophet Nahum, chapter number one and verse number three, the Bible says the Lord is slow to anger. I wonder if there's anybody that could just say thank God for that. Aren't you glad the Lord is slow to anger? Aren't you glad that God doesn't have a temper like some of us, that as soon as we did something, he just decided to shoot us with a lightning bolt or something? Because he could do it if he wanted to. But God is, the Lord is slow to anger. Thank God that your temper's not as bad as mine is, God. Y'all weren't supposed to say amen only there. The Lord is slow to anger and in great power. Amen, aren't you glad those two phrases go together? Because if it was just that God was great in power, but he wasn't slow to anger, that's a bad combination. A lot of power with a lot of anger is a bad combination. If God is powerful, which he is, we ought to be thankful that he's also slow to anger. Aren't you glad God doesn't just react like that? The Lord is slow to anger and in great power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Amen. He's slow to anger, but he's not going to let the wicked off the hook. It may not come speedily, but trust me, judgment for sin will indeed come. Your sins will find you out. I can't help but feel like God is reaching his pain threshold with this generation and this modern world. Amen. There are a lot of similarities in the story of Noah in his day and the world in our day. 
The Bible said in Luke 17 and 26, Jesus said, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Jesus said, just like it was in the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be in the day that I come back. He said they'll be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, just living life as usual. Sin, sin, great wickedness, the mind on wickedness continually. God is surely going to bring judgment on this world. Amen. I said God is going to bring judgment on this world. Yes, he will. The book of Revelation gives us a breathtaking look at the wrath and the judgment of God that he will pour out on the earth. The Bible said, woe to the inhabitants of the world. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. When God finally reaches his threshold and he says enough is enough and he folds his arms in judgment against this world, the Bible said, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. I will tell you it's gonna be a terrible day when the wrath of God is poured out on this world. Amen. I've heard preachers say it since I was a little boy, which has been a very long time ago. I've heard it said that if God does not judge America for her sin, then God owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. And indeed, we live in a wicked and perverse generation. The world in Noah's day was exceedingly wicked, and the world in our day is exceedingly wicked. The thought of the men in Noah's day was on wickedness and evil continually, and the thoughts of people in our day is on wickedness and evil continually. And Jesus said, just like it was in the days of Noah, when God did not at all acquit the wicked, also it will be in this day. But the Bible says in the middle of all that promise of judgment, verse number 8 of Genesis 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I will tell you without reservation, this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Because in the middle of all that talk of wickedness and judgment and wrath, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. I'll let you in on a little conversation that, uh, that we had recently, me and some of the boys in the church, uh, we were talking at one point about the name of a baseball player, and it led us into a discussion about, about foreign languages and how you find that, that when you start to learn other languages, you find that sentence structure is different. And the example that we were talking about is that in English, if you wanted to say big house, the word for big is grande, in Spanish, and the word house is casa. So if you wanted to say big house in Spanish, what would you say? Uh, some people said what? <laughs> some of you have learned a little Spanish. It's not, if you want to say big house, big is grande, house is casa. You wouldn't say grande casa. In Spanish, you'd say casa grande. You say, well, that's backward. It's backward to you because you speak English, not Spanish. Sentence structure is different. The English speaker thinks it's backward, but many languages put the noun first and then the modifiers, where English often puts the modifiers first and then the noun. 
When you look at Genesis 8, you have to understand that the original language that that was written in was not English. It was written in Hebrew. When you look at the phrase, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, you have to remember that's a translation from ancient Hebrew. The literal reading of this passage is that the Lord's grace found Noah. Not Noah found grace, but the Lord's grace found Noah. Noah didn't know to look for grace, but grace knew to look for Noah. Noah didn't know the flood was coming, but grace knew the flood was coming. Noah didn't know that God was going to destroy the earth, but grace knew that God was going to destroy the earth. So Noah didn't find grace. Grace found Noah. May I tell you that I'm glad that God is looking for people that he can spare from the judgment of this world. I'll tell you that this world deserves judgment, but I'm also glad that grace in this room right now is looking for somebody. Oh, I'm glad that grace is looking for someone here this morning that he can spare you from the wrath of sin. They can spare you from the destruction of this world. Grace is looking for a Noah today. Somebody ought to raise their hand and say, Grace, you can find me. Here I am. God, I need your grace. Let's look a little bit further. 2 Peter chapter number 2, verses 4 and 5. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. I know some of us think we're angels, but the apostle is making a contrast. If God spared not the angels that sinned, cast them down to hell, delivered them to chains of darkness to be reserved to judgment, and spared not the old world, He's saying, God, judge the angels for their sin. And the wicked world in the days of Noah, he judged that wicked world. He spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. The Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now, you understand, in those days, they didn't have churches like we have. When we think of a preacher, we think of a pulpit. But that wasn't necessarily the case in Noah's day. In Noah's day, the word preacher was just a messenger, an ambassador, somebody that, that gave a message. When we talk about a preacher of righteousness, Noah preached about living right, serving God. Noah told people about righteousness and integrity and virtue and loving God. Noah was concerned. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was concerned about living right himself, and he was also trying to help other people live right. Amen. I'm trying to preach this morning. I hope you're praying for me right now because I feel like I got a word from the Lord for some people today. Amen. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, a messenger of living for God. He was not only concerned with living right himself, but he was concerned with telling others to serve God. Noah found grace not only because he did right himself, but Noah found grace because he did right himself and he tried to get others to do right. If I could say it this way, Noah was trying to be a disciple and make disciples. 
May I tell you that it's not only our job to live right in this present world. It's our job to live right and try to get other people to live right. To be a disciple and to make disciples. You understand the mission that we have as a church in Bethlehem goes all the way back to Noah. Not just living right himself, but trying to tell the world there's a flood coming. There's judgment coming. But God will save you and deliver you and help you. And may I come to tell somebody today that God not only wants us to be saved, but God wants us to tell as many people as we can. You want to find grace for your children? Try to help somebody else's children find God. You want to find grace for your spouse? Try to help somebody else find God. You want to find grace for your family? Try to get somebody else's family in church. You want to find grace for your life? Try to get somebody else. You got to be a preacher of righteousness. Noah found grace because he was not only concerned with himself. Noah found grace in the eyes of God, and in that same conversation, the Bible says that God gave Noah instructions on what to do. He gave Noah a word from the Lord. I submit to you this this morning that God's grace will often manifest itself through direction from the word of God. Often God shows people grace by giving direction through the preaching of his word. Amen. You pray for grace, the best way to get grace is to obey what's preached over this pulpit. The best way to find grace is to listen to what the man of God, whether it's me or Bishop or anyone else, preaches over this pulpit. The word of God will bring bring grace to your family, grace to your marriage, grace to your children, grace to your mind, grace to your heart. Don't reject what's preached and then look for grace out there because grace comes over the pulpit. I wish somebody would say praise the Lord. Amen. As soon as the Bible said that Noah found grace, God gave him instructions. And God said unto Noah, verse 13, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shall thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within... And without, God told Noah to make an ark, and that ark was going to save Noah and his family from the flood. Build it according to my instructions. Make it the way I tell you. Pitch it on the inside. You know what pitch is? Pitch is tar. You ever get that stuff on you? You you, you won't hardly get it off, but you don't have to worry. The water will get through it either. He said, you got to pitch the ark on the inside and the outside. you got to make it right on the inside. And on the outside, may I tell you, if you're really going to live for God, you got to get right on the inside and the outside. you got to be made according to the plan and the word of God. If you're going to survive the judgment that's coming on this world, you got to obey the word of God. you got to do it like the Bible says, folks. Amen. This isn't, about, this isn't about just somebody getting up and yelling at you three times a week. We're trying to get ourselves right with God. God told Noah to make an ark, and that ark was going to save Noah from the flood. The Bible called him the eighth person. Did you notice that in the verse we read a few minutes ago? It called him the eighth person. Noah was the last one. He was the one that built it, but the last one on it. His wife, his three sons, their wives were the first seven, 
And then Noah was the eighth person on the ark. Noah built the ark. Noah saved his family. Noah saved his wife. He built the ark according to the word of God. And that ark became salvation. Amen. If not for Noah and the ark, there'd be no humanity today. You wouldn't be here right now had Noah not obeyed God. Had Noah not built the ark, there'd be no animals in the world today. Noah saved mankind. Noah saved the animals. Noah saved civilization. Noah saved the history of human history and the creation of man. But none of those are the reasons why Noah built the ark. Noah didn't build the ark to save the animals. Noah didn't build the ark to save civilization. Amen. It wasn't to save humanity. It wasn't to save history. It wasn't to save civilization. It wasn't to save the animals. Hebrews 11 and 7 tells us exactly why Noah built the ark by faith. Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear. The word fear means to be apprehensive or cautious, to beware. It also means to have reverence. It's talking about being reverent to God. Noah moved with fear. I got to do exactly what God said because I revere the word of God. If God said to build it this way, then I reverence God by obeying what he said. If God told me to make the ark so long, I'm making it that long because I revere what God said. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all all right this morning? I'm going to do it not only because I'm afraid of the flood, but because I reverence and trust God. Because I reverence God, I build the ark the right way. It's not only because the flood's coming. I'm going to build the ark the right way because I don't want my kids to drown. I don't want my wife to drown. I don't want myself to drown. So I'm going to build the ark the right way because I'm, I'm aware, I'm fearful of the flood. But it's not only about being afraid of the flood. It's because I have reverence for God. I honor God. And God is worthy of my obedience. I live for God not only because I'm afraid of going to hell. I live for God because I honor him and I revere him. And what he likes, I like. And what he wants, I want. And what he says, I do. It's not just about getting out of hell. If the only reason you live for God is to escape hell, that fear will wear off someday. That fear will go away someday and you'll find yourself in sin. But if you're living for God, not only because you're afraid of hell, but because you honor him and love him, you'll make it through every trial and every flood in your life. Oh, I wish somebody praise him right now. Noah moved with fear. I got to cut this board right because if I don't cut this board right, my boys may drown in the flood and also God told me to cut the board this way. So I'm going to do it out of do two reasons. I'm going to do it to save my children from the flood and also because the way I obey the word of God shows my honor to him. Man, that's better preaching than I thought it would be. He moved with fear. He was afraid of the coming flood, but he also had great respect for what God told him to do. The idea of reverence was in his mind. 
God told me to use gopher wood. Now think about it. 120 years or so to build the ark. I'd say he used all the close gopher wood first. But, but after a few decades of cutting all the gopher trees down, it'd be easier. Now, God, you said gopher wood, but uh, there's a maple tree right here. And, and I, I got to walk. I mean, I've cut all the gopher trees down within the, next, the, the last few miles. And, and God, you hadn't invented bulldozers and dump trucks and logging trucks and chainsaws yet. And, and you, you, hadn't, you hadn't invented all that stuff yet, God. And if you'd let me use maple or poplar or ash or oak, I mean, it's right here. There's no gopher trees now for miles. But God, if you said gopher wood, I'm going to move not only with fear because oak will probably still float. Maple will probably still float. Elm will probably still float. Poplar will probably still float. But God didn't say oak, elm, poplar, or ash, or maple, or pine. God said gopher wood. You know why? Because when God said it, you better go for it. So because, now look, if all it was was fear, then I'd cut the corners and just use this maple tree right here, and that pine tree over there, and that oak tree and that elm tree. But it's not just about being fear because oak and pine and all that will keep me from dying in the flood. But I revere the word of God and God never said it'd be easy. He just told me to do it. So if I got to go four miles to get gopher wood, then I'm going to go four miles to get gopher wood because it's not all about fear. It's about honoring and revering God. I live like I live, not only because I'm afraid of going to hell. I live holy because I honor God. There's easier ways to live. There's easier standards to live by. There's easier lifestyles to go by. But God said, build the ark of gopher wood. Amen. You can blend in with the world if you want to. You can look like the world if you want to. You can act like the world if you want to. But God said, build it the right way. And so out of reverence for him. I wish somebody would say, praise the Lord. He moved with fear. And he prepared an ark. He didn't wait till the rain came. I remember when I was a kid, this is, this is camp meeting season. Our kids... Man, they, they, we almost won't see them all summer long. Some of them already been to two youth camps and a conference, got another youth camp coming up, got district camp meeting. It's, it's like camp meeting city. When I was a teenager, we'd go to church camp. We'd have so much fun. I'd think, God, I wish camp meeting lasted every, all year long. And then when I got responsible for carrying them out, I thought, dear God, why did we do five nights? You notice most camp meetings that used to be five nights are now down to four or three. Yeah. One district did one service. I thought, man, they're brilliant. <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager, we'd go to camp meeting. We'd, we'd get there on Monday. And uh, one of my prayers on Monday would be, God, don't come back till Friday. Because I got some plans for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. <laughs> God, don't come back till Friday. I, 
I need all the time I can get. And come Friday night, man, every young person in the place would pray through and repent for all the stuff they did the first four days. But Noah, the Bible doesn't say that Noah moved with fear and waited till the raindrops started to get right with God. Hell is full of people that plan to repent later. Cemeteries are full of people that put off getting right with God till later. Noah moved with fear and prepared an ark. I don't know when the rain's coming, but I don't have time to wait. I'd rather have the ark sitting here for 10 years waiting on the flood than for the flood to come and me be 10 years from having the ark ready. So I'm going to prepare the ark. I wish somebody would say amen. Amen. Why am I moving with fear and preparing an ark? You ever seen somebody that, that didn't really have fear build something? That's where Brother Wilson talked about half-inch caulking. Close enough. Move with fear and prepared an ark. Why did Noah move with fear and prepare an ark? To the saving of his house. Amen. He said, I got to do this right, and I got to do it now. I can't, I can't cut corners, and I can't put it off because I'm saving my house. I'm saving my family. If I mess this up, I mess everything that, that matters to me up. If I make the wrong decision, it may be the end. If I, if I cut corners and this, and this board is just a little bit short, and a leak happens because I cut a corner and my boys drown in this ark in the flood, then I have nobody to blame but myself. So I'm going to move with fear. I'm going to prepare the ark. I'm telling somebody, don't put off living for God till next week, next month, or next year. You better start right now preparing the ark. Move with fear and reverence to God. Can I preach a minute or two? Can I just tell you? Can I just tell you that if your question is, is that a heaven or hell issue, you're asking the wrong question. If you're saying, can I do this and get away with it and it be all right? Do I really have to do that, Pastor? Is that really, does that really require, or can I come up a little bit short? I'm going to tell you, we preach with fear. We preach with the fear of God because I'd rather you do too much than too little and me stand by you in eternity and you look at me and say, Pastor, why didn't you tell me to go this far? You got to prepare your ark. Moms and dads, you got to prepare your ark. There's some things maybe your kids could get away with and be all right, but that doesn't mean it's good for their relationship with God. I'm moving with fear and reverence to the saving of my house. Anybody ever watch a race before? Like a track, track, like a, a, a race, a sprint, or have you? Have you ever seen anyone win the race and they stopped exactly on the finish line? Everyone I've ever seen win a race has gone through the line. 
I was watching a, a, a video on, on uh, YouTube or something. I, I don't remember what, some, some maybe Twitter or something of a, of, a, of a football player that's trying out for the Olympics. And he ran and he was running so hard that when he got to the end of the track, he couldn't stop and he slid and fell under the bleachers. He went so far past the line because his goal was not to get to the line. His goal was to win the race. When it comes to living for God, I don't want to just go to the line and say, I want to keep going. I'd rather go too far than not far enough. I'm going to run to win. I'm not going to run just to finish. I'm going to run to win. I'm going to run with heaven on my mind. I'm going to build an ark to the saving of my house. I'm going to tell my kids a little bit more than maybe I even think is necessary because I want them to cross the line. You may mock how we live our life, but we're building arcs to save our family. You may think we're wasting time being so involved in the kingdom of God, but I'm building an ark to the saving of my house. You may not agree, agree with my decisions to invest my life in the kingdom of God, but I'm building an ark to save my family. It's all about saving them from the flood that's coming on this world. Don't whine to me. I'm so tired. I don't know if I can make it. You think Noah didn't get tired in 120 years of cutting wood, hauling wood, shaving wood, nailing wood? You don't think he ever got tired of trying to build scaffolding? He built a little bit, had to build a scaffolding, raise it up, raise. People come by saying, what in the world are you building? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? It's a boat. What are you building it for? It's going to rain. What's rain? It's never rained before. I don't know, but God said it's going to rain, and he said, build this thing. So I'm building like he said. But it doesn't make sense, Noah. Look, there are people that haven't heard from God will never understand the word of God. Don't be concerned with what the people out there think about your lifestyle and your faithfulness and how you serve God and raise your children. You're not raising your children to make them happy. You're raising your children to spare them from the flood. It's all about winning. It's all about getting through this flood that's coming. I'm going to build an ark to the saving of my house. I can't worry about what other people say that haven't heard from God. I can't worry about what other people said who haven't gotten the, the, the vision of the ark. Say what you want to about Noah, but him and his wife saved their children. What are you building in your life? What are the things in your life that are taking most of your time? your talent and treasure. What's your number one priority? Honestly, honestly, don't, not platitudes. No, don't say, don't say God's my number one priority because you know that's what you're supposed to say. Really, don't, don't look at what your words say. Look at what your life says. What is my life really about? What am I investing myself into? Are you an ark builder? That's my question this morning. Are you an ark builder? It's an interesting passage, interesting passage of scripture. I want to go to in 1 Peter chapter number 3. It's the apostle Peter in the New Testament that compares Jesus and Noah. I'm almost done. I, know, I don't know if you believe me or not, but, but I, I do, I am, I think. 1 Peter 3 and 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Notice this phrase, the just for the unjust. Isn't that awesome? The just for the unjust. The holy for the unholy. 
the righteous for the unrighteous, the pure for the sinner. Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why did he do it? Why? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he bleed and die? Why did he suffer? Why did he let filthy Roman soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head and put, drive nails to his hands and feet? Why would he let that happen? That he might bring us to God. He did it for you. He did it for me. The just for the unjust. He suffered that he might bring us to God. The cross was about building a bridge from where you are to where God is. That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit. His flesh died on the cross, but he was made alive by the Spirit of God. The holy, the right, dying for those unholy and unrighteous for the express purpose of bringing us to God. Aren't you thankful that no matter how far away from him we were, that his sacrifice on the cross was enough to bring us to God. Maybe it was over addiction, maybe it was over false religion, false doctrine, anger, abuse, whatever the case may be, but still the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God and save us from our sins. And then the next verse down, a couple Verse 20, which sometime were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Do you notice, you, you notice that in the middle? I know I'm doing a little bit of a Bible study here, but it feels like, but when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, God was ready to judge sinners, but the long suffering of God waited for Noah. He knew that he couldn't send judgment until the ark was built. And so he waited for Noah to get done. And when Noah drove that final nail into the ark and put that last little bit of pitch on the inside and outside, God said, okay, it's done. The clouds begin to gather, but God was long-suffering, waiting for the ark to be finished, and then his patience ran out. So how does Noah's ark apply to people today? When Noah finished the ark, God expected people that wanted to be saved to get on the ark. You hear me? That when Noah was done with the ark, God expected people to get on the ark to be saved. And those that did were saved. And those that didn't perished in the flood. What does that have to do with today? 
The very next verse, 1 Peter 3, 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just like God expected sinners to get on the ark to be saved, God expects sinners to be baptized in his name to be saved. Amen. I didn't write the Bible. He said God was patient waiting for Noah to get done. And when the ark was done, God expected people to get on the ark to be saved. The like figure whereunto baptism does also now save us. God expects people to get baptized in his name to get on the ark. Even baptism. You understand? I understand a little bit of a, of a, of a baptism Bible study, but we could use a little bit of a... I do it all the time, but we can still use more. Amen. You want to be saved? You got to be baptized. You want to be on the ark? You got to get baptized into the ark. You don't join it, sign a card, take the right hand of fellowship, or make a sinner's prayer to get on. You got to be baptized into it because the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Amen. I'm glad I've been baptized in Jesus' name and I stepped onto the ark. I'm glad I got access to the ark by the name of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that I made my way onto the ark of safety through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we'll baptize you this morning. We've got water clothes. We've got preachers to baptize you. We got even all the way down to a hairdryer to make you look pretty again on your way out. Because we want you to be baptized in Jesus' name and saved from the flood. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I've come today to preach to two groups of people. I've come to preach to families, to dads in particular, to build an ark for the saving of your house. Daddy, move with fear. Move with fear. Move with caution, but also reverence towards God when you make decisions on what your family's going to do and how you're going to live. And when you're trying to decide, am I going? Look, if your kids have to say, are we going to church? You've already failed, step one. That's right. I'll say it again. If your kids have ever asked you if you're going to church, that's a failure as a father. even have to ask, yes, we're going, because I'm building an ark to the saving of my house. I want you to lift your hands all over this place right now. I'm preaching to parents today. Build an ark to the saving of your house. Move with fear. Move with caution and reverence with every decision you make, with every time that you that you consider, God, what are we going to do? God, what should we do? Look, don't pack up. Don't take a job off somewhere and pack up and move and not even check to see if there's a good truth preaching holiness church there. I'd rather be poor and have nothing and save than go somewhere and make money hand over fist and not have a good church to raise my family in. 
move with fear. I want to prepare an ark to the saving. It's interesting to me that the only ones in the altar are teenagers who don't have kids. I find it interesting that the ones that God, that feel like God has drawn them to an altar are the ones that have never had children, moms and dads. You better move with fear. You better be an ark builder. Sir, you better be an ark builder. Ma'am, you better be an ark builder. I got to build an ark to the saving of my house. I got to serve God. I got to make decisions with my kids' salvation in mind. Priorities, what's more important. This is how we're going to spend our time, and this is how we're going to spend our money, and this is how we're going to live because I'm building an ark. I've got, I've got the ark on my mind. I've got, I've got to move. I'm an ark builder, you see. I'm not just a dad. I'm an ark builder. I'm not just a 49-year-old man. I'm an ark builder. I'm not just a preacher. I'm an ark builder. I've got to build an ark to the saving of my house. Oh, come on. We ought to be praying right now. Oh, Lord Jesus. I gotta prepare the ark. I gotta get it ready now. I gotta get it ready right now. I gotta start now. Look, there's no better time to start than right now. You gotta start. I'm an ark builder. I'm teaching my kids to pray right now. How I'm praying is an example to my kids how to pray. How you respond to the word of God is an example to your kids. Everything you do is in the process of building an ark. Everything you do is the process of ark building. Everything I cut out of my life, everything I add to my life, it's all in the process of ark building. Come on, pray right now. Go ahead and pray. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you ought to be baptized today in the name of Jesus Christ because that's the like figure of Noah and the ark. That's the example of Noah's and Noah and the ark today is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you lift your hands all over this place as they begin to sing? And can you say, God, help me to be an ark builder? God, help me, Lord Jesus, to be an ark builder. Come on, I want to hear your voices as you pray. God, I got to build an ark to the saving of my house.
reach over and pray with somebody close to you. I give myself away. Help us, oh God. So you can use us, oh God. Use us, oh God. you thankful that somebody your father your mother sometimes it may have been a different family member that gave of themselves and prayed for you anybody ever been prayed for brother Greg McCool used to sing that song special unspoken request I was that special unspoken request anybody ever been that I'm sure I have Back in the day, it's kind of different now, but used to, we'd take prayer requests. Brother Greg, you remember? You're old enough like me. Remember People would say, I got a special unspoken request. Aren't you thankful that somebody prayed for us? There was somebody that built an ark. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 